This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. All right, welcome everybody. I am Tim Parati. I am the Chief Investment Strategist here at WealthVest. I am joined by my uh, partner in crime on this podcast always in Drew Dockin. And we are thrilled today to have uh, Cetera's CIO, Gene Goldman. Uh, he's going to join us and we're gonna, just going to run through all the topics that we talk about every week. We're going to talk about where we see this economy evolving, how this cycle evolves, soft landing, recession. We're going to talk about equity markets and what our expectations are, the sectors that we like there. We'll talk about the bond market and where the long end goes. Uh, and just as we always say, this is not uh, investment advice, but uh, hopefully everybody can learn something today. So, Gene, thank you for being here. I know you like to talk about kind of your forward themes, the themes that you think are going to matter for the next 12 months. So why don't we run through those and we can bat it around a little bit. Sure. Great. And thank you, and Tim and Drew. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, we really appreciate this. So for 2024, you know, our, our three big themes are as follows. Number one is that the Fed, the Federal Reserve, goes from being a foe to a friend. So what that means is that basically the Fed is going to be cutting rates in 2024. And what do we point to is we point to inflation is slowing down pretty quickly. Second of all, we've not yet seen all the full effect of all the rate hikes. You know, the Fed has gone from zero to five and a quarter to five and a half pretty fast, about in a year and a half or so. So we still haven't felt the full effect of all the rate hikes. So there's going to be an effect on the economy. If you think historically, it takes about 12 to 15 months for a rate hike to be felt, to felt by the economy. We still haven't felt the fell effect. And the question is, you know, the Fed will cut in 2024. Some questions you get to think about is that will it be earlier or later in the year? And we do think a little bit later in the year because, you know, if you think about a few reasons, first of all, inflation has really been helped by falling energy prices, but this will likely be less of a market drag on inflation going forward. So we need to see some moderation in both hiring and wage growth. The other point is that Loretta Mester, the Cleveland Fed president, she becomes a voting member um, on January, and she's a very much one of the biggest hawks in the Fed. So she does retire in June of 2024, so she's likely going to put a hawkish bias in the Fed, at least for the first part of the year. So again, our first theme is the Fed goes from foe to friend, Inflation is slowing, not yet seen the full effect of rate hikes, but the rate hike, the rate cuts may not be till later in the year, the second half of the year. Our second theme is that the economy cools into a soft landing. So if you think about this, you know, the question is, are we going to have a recession? And maybe, maybe not. But regardless, we do think if we have a recession in the next 12 months, it's going to be very mild. And the reason we point to this is the fact that parts of the economy in recession today, like autos, housing, manufacturing, are starting to stabilize. And they're sort of, you know, stabilizing in the sense that they're starting to get a little bit better. Case in point, last week we saw building permits came in above expectation. Housing starts rose in October. So it seems like the area in recession right now is already the worst is already behind us. Also, you know, so again, you take that perspective and you take the fact that the consumer is still not yet impacted. Take this all together. Our perspective is that we have a very... If we have a recession, it's very mild. But what we do, we would likely have is more of like a sector recession, a recession that rolls through the economy sector by sector by sector, not a big, nasty 2008 recession like we saw in the past where everything fell. The question you have to ask is really, hey, 
would the Fed still cut rates if there's no recession? And the answer is yes. Remember, the Fed's September dot plot said a base case scenario of no rate hikes and no recession. So you think about that, you think about the fact that Fed's Fed funds rate is above neutral. And again, interest rates are still above inflation. Very, very pointed to slowing the economy down. And then our third theme, and I apologize for just talking a lot, but I love talking about oh, no. big themes, is that we're really excited about equities. You know, we've been cautious for most of 2023, but three things have really kind of said, why be more optimistic on equities? Number one, we do we still think the Fed's going to cut rates next year, so market breadth should widen. Second of all, the earnings recession is over, in our opinion. You look at third quarter earnings came in at 4.2, 4.3%. The markets had expected down 0.3% for the quarter. They came in well positive. And if you strip out energy, you're looking at double-digit earnings growth in the third quarter. So, <laughs> excuse me, the earnings recession is over. Second of all, we do think that, uh, or sorry, third of all, we do think that the valuations are much more attractive after the correction we had. You know, coming into the correction, the PE ratio in the S&P 500 and Ford earnings was about 19 and change, like 19 and a half, I think. Today, they're about 18, low 18. So that correction readjusted valuations. So again, this is why we're optimistic on equities on a go forward basis. So our three themes, the Fed goes from foe to friend, the economy cools into a soft landing, and then we're really excited about equities in this environment going forward. All right, very good, Gene. So let's take each piece of that and kind of uh, and and kind of uh, talk through uh, each piece. So you're basically higher for longer, right? The, yes. the economy stays resilient. So those who are saying the Fed's going to be cutting real soon, you don't see that. You're sort of the Fed funds futures, I think, are starting to price in maybe the first cut around June. You think mm -hmm. that sounds about right to you, maybe even a little bit later? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So we do think maybe later. So we actually, you know, we're thinking maybe probably July or maybe the September meetings when the Fed starts to cut. And the reason why it's higher for longer, again, we're optimistic the Fed cuts next next year. That's 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 our base case. But why higher for longer? And there's three things you can look at. First of all, inflation is still above the Fed's two percent target. First, second of all, while inflation has rolled, has come down pretty quickly, services inflation is extremely high right now. Services inflation is very, very well above that. So we don't, we think services inflation for it to come down, you need the labor market to be impacted. And then I think third, third of all, it's just overall inflation is still has some room to run. It still needs to come down. So take all those together. Right. We do think it's higher for longer. Right. And for for that to happen, for, for the Fed to be cutting, you got it. Now, would could you see the Fed cutting before you get to two percent? In other words, you, you've gotten down to kind of zero or negligible goods inflation, but uh, you know some of those measures that they really like, some of the sticky inflation members uh, numbers, services inflation, X housing on a three month or a six month, that that stuff which is driven by wages. So do you have to get wages kind of wages are running over 5%. Do you have to get wages to like 3% or something like that in order to get the Fed cutting or the Fed you don't think will cut if wages are are, are still running at 3% growth. Yeah, you have a great your question is really good cuz it, it really talks about the 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 disconnect in the Fed right now. Cuz the Fed you know, if you think about the Fed, the Fed is very confusing right now. So if you look at the last Fed meeting back in November, the Fed said the Fed came out with their statement that said we're not going to cut, we're we're not raising. They they basically didn't raise rates, and they said to the effect that um, likely, you know, we we may raise rates again. We're we're watching carefully. But then Jay Powell came out in his press conference and said 
we're pretty much done. And that became a very dovish. And there's just so much confusion. And I actually thought in the meeting minutes that we would get right before Thanksgiving, we'd have some clarification. We're not seeing it. So the Fed is confused too. So my the point of my story is that basically it's hard to answer what the Fed's going to do because the Fed's very right. confusing. But with yeah. our perspective, we still think that, yes, as a, even if it's still going towards a 2% target, the Fed won't be able to cut rates until we have that 2% target. Yes, unless the data changes dramatically, unless some forward-looking, the PMIs come out well below expectations, most likely the Fed's going to stay hard on that, two, on that level where they are right now until we see 2%. Because if the yeah. Fed says, you know what, we said our target is 2%, but now our target is 3%, the Fed loses even more. More credibility so we worry about that and then wage inflation wage inflation is starting to slow down ever so slightly and yeah. if you look at you know you're seeing this in wage inflation you're seeing this in job openings are you know you're seeing the quit rates are starting to slow down yeah. all the parts of the labor market are starting to slow down you know coming into 2023 it was about two jobs available for every one person looking for a job now we're about one and a half jobs yeah. for everyone looking for a job so things are slowing down in the labor market and the question we get from a lot of our, our advisors and their clients is why do we care so much about the labor market? Well, because services inflation is still so sick, so sticky. And because of this, wages and labor is a huge component of services inflation. The Fed needs to address this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, that the core to our work is that labor is in a, in, in a secular inflationary environment, that we just we have a labor shortage. We are going to go through a slowdown in the economy that should alleviate some of that pressure. But these secular pressures uh, aren't going away. 45% of small businesses, according to the NFIB, still can't fill open roles. So it, it, this is this is the whole balance, right? If, if the belief is a soft landing, uh, you kind of have to believe that the Fed can get the labor market looser without, um, you know, w without there being real damage to the labor market, right? I mean, this is what we've kind of come to understand in this cycle. Remember, a year and a half ago, Larry Summers and others were saying that in unemployment was going to have to get to 6% in order to the, for the Fed to take their foot off the gas. Obviously wrong. Obviously right. wrong. But the question is, you know, it really is a very hard thing to know uh, what is going to get the labor market weaker. And if the labor market gets weaker, don't earnings have to come down, right? Companies lay off people when uh, pre there's 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 profit pressure. So how do you how do you kind of balance those two? You, you talked about forward earnings on the S and P at 18 times. Well, if companies are laying off people, those forward earning multiples are those the the forward the forward earnings multiple is probably too low because earnings are probably going to be lower than what we now expect. That's a great question, but something something to think about is that yes layoffs are going to happen layoffs are happening you know not as you know but we're also coming from a very strong labor market but the thing i want to point to is third quarter productivity third quarter productivity surged up 2.2 percent so what that means is that in a, with a smaller workforce or less people or maybe some people being laid off that companies have done a great job to produce a ton of stuff they've increased productivity and what i think is interesting is that productivity usually does not increase until the latter stages of a recession we're seeing productivity increase right now so there's a big question maybe we already had a recession with housing down um, autos down manufacturing down but yes Layoffs are going to come. We will see more layoffs. It's going, it's going to happen. But at the end of the day, productivity has surged. And this is part of the reason why we do expect earnings to the earnings recession to be over. Yes, cutting costs. Yes, people you know, losing their jobs, which is really unfortunate. People spending less money. 
But if you look, but you, if you look at Black Friday, just you know, last week, you saw people were still spending money, still as expected. But they're doing this a little differently though. Instead, they're they've already drained most of their savings. Now they're starting to extend credit a little bit more. We're seeing more and more of this. But so, long story short, I do think um, that the layoffs are going to impact the economy to an extent. But we're coming off of a very strong base. Productivity has also been very high. Good for companies. So companies are paying less wage wages and getting more output part of the reason why we do think the earnings recession is over and that's why next year s p 500 earnings are expected to be up 11 12 percent year over year pretty good number well i tell you if you're right about and, and we've had one really strong quarter here of of productivity but yep. i mean as you know those quarters bounce around from totally. quarter to quarter fairly violently so you, you tend to look at longer term trends but overall, to your point, if productivity comes in and we can roll at two plus percent productivity, yep. you're going to be right. Right. It is to be bearish is to make the argument that productivity stays kind of soft. As a matter of fact, I went back and I was reading Powell's speech right before the pandemic. And mm -hmm. one of the things he was talking about is the fact that we had had a decade of really punk productivity. So, you know, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting to now look at it on the other side of it and say, because we've had some very weak productivity quarters. And as you cite more recently, we've had a strong productivity quarter. That to me is a $64,000 question that is very hard for any economist to really know the answer to, right? It's hard exactly. for you to say, oh, I guarantee a productivity is going to run north of 3% next year. The, the only time it does coming out of a recession, right? Where you have those real high productivity because you still have higher output with lower jobs. Um, thing, another thing, thing that you talked like Tim, go ahead, one thing what I want to come back to you about earnings, because I think earnings recession is, is it's dividing Wall Street right now. Are we are we out of it or are we still in it? And another reason why I think the earnings recession is behind this, not 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 the, you know notwithstanding the fact that inflation is slowing down. But I think more importantly, if you look at PPI, producer price index, relative to CPI, the consumer price index, and you use PPI as a proxy for business costs and CPI as a proxy for let's just say sales. And the spread is widening dramatically. PPI has fallen at a faster clip, especially with energy prices flowing into production costs and so on. I think there's some opportunity there. So again, you know, I'm, Tim, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I'm always fairly cautious. This is one of the reasons why I've been fairly optimistic for 2024. Yeah. I think profit margin stabilization is here, and I do see some opportunities. Well, it, you know, especially if the narrative around labor hoarding has been right, right? If companies are really holding on to more people than they need. I mean, look mm -hmm. at Meta, right? I mean, Meta's whole earnings explosion has been cost cutting. Uh, and I think you're starting to see that. And the question is, and it's another $64,000 question, uh, is what, how long of a tail does that have? Do companies actually, have they been overholding or, or hoarding labor to the point where they actually have some room for 5% and 10% type layoffs uh, where they can keep production and, and uh, top line near the same, and, but, but they can lever the margin line? Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, you see unemployment rates so low right now, so... You talked about the lags to monetary policy, and one of the areas where you're starting to see evidence of those lags finally starting to kick in is cost of capital is finally starting to rise mm -hmm. for small businesses. Uh, you know, any decent CFO had termed out your debt for as long as you could, but there's a little bit of a of a of a uh, um, a refinance wall that's sort of building, and then the same for consumers. And we talk a lot about the anybody with a 30-year mortgage probably isn't really feeling it all that much. So right. can you talk about, and I know that these these tend to get 
a little overhyped by the perma bears when you see default rates move up and, and so forth. But can you talk about how you can kind of isolate that and why you shouldn't? I'm, I'm obviously leading the witness here, but why people shouldn't overreact to when they see these default rates start to move higher and so forth. Yeah, it's a, a great it's a great question. So, so default rates have increased slightly. And this is part of the reason why, for example, we've been very underweight high yield bonds. We think high yield bond default rates are going to pick up pretty quickly. And we can talk about that later. But we do think default rates are starting to tick up a little bit. Yes. Our base case is a mild recession if we have recession, but still you see credit, you know, you see credit um, debt rising, you see bond yields rising, you see it's more difficult to refinance debt. So we are watching this very carefully and something to, to, to be careful. But the good news is that corporations are in, a, in great shape, a lot of cash on their balance sheet. Also, you've seen a lot of uh, experience in cost cutting, a lot of opportunities to sort of reduce or to mitigate against these potential down opportunities. But again, these are worries. These are these risks to our theory for things for 2024, just the cost of capital rising dramatically creating defaults. But again, this is part of the reasons why we sort of de-risked this part of our portfolios. Okay. Why don't we move on to talk a little bit about sectors and asset classes? Why don't we start on the equity side? You like equities. What are the what are the asset what are the sectors within equities that you like best? Sure. I think and if we if we take a broader step back, since you said asset classes, coming into the pre-correction, we were over we had a position in liquid alts. Liquid alts are great ways to mitigate market volatility. These things that zig when the rest of the market is zagging. Also, we were underweight growth relative to value. Not that we love value at that point so much, but because growth was just super expensive. So, and then we we're also underweight non-US. As we, as the correction took place, we did make some changes in our portfolios to take advantage of better valuations. So we reduced our liquid alts exposure for global equity, not because we like non-US, but just because of potential weaker dollar, but also just to get more equity exposure in a very, in a very specific way. To your question about within the positioning today, you know, broadly, we're overweight value now. So we like value, especially if if the Fed cuts rates next year, which we expect them, which this should widen market breadth. Plus, you think about value, you know, value is just a great way to add equity exposure since value stocks have not really kept up with the rest of the market. Right. So I think year to date, large cap growth is up with 36%, large cap value is up 4%. Right. And I think there's some opportunities. So we like value overweight value now. We are also overweight small cap. Small cap is extremely cheap, valuation perspective and just opportunities. And then we're starting to um, get a little bit more into non-US, especially with the dollar starts to weaken as we anticipate with the Fed being done raising rates, some opportunities there. Then if you peel back the asset classes within value, our three favorite sectors are, are the key value sectors. Our, our favorite number one is, is industrials. Industrials, just because of defense exposure, you know, the rising geopolitical risks, we do think defense makes sense. Plus, if you look at, you know, Eurozone and Canadian defense spending relative to GDP, this has increased from an expected 3% to likely closer to 8%. That's a huge, huge spending on defense. And a lot of companies that released earnings in, in the defense industry last quarter talked about rising backlogs, like huge backlogs of orders trying yeah. to, they're trying to fill. And then the other thing about industrials is that the whole trend about, you know, you know, normalization of, of onshoring of manufacturing. And you look at the spending on manufacturing facilities has been surging, especially when you start looking at high tech industrial equipment. Again, companies are spending a lot of money on industrial equipment to raise productivity. So one one chart that we always like show our advisors and clients, just a surge in spending on manufacturing of construction, construction of manufacturing facilities. 
Our second area that we like, another value sector, is financials. You know, financials, especially large banks. Still a little worried about the small banks right now, the regional banks, but the large banks, they're very cheap from a valuation standpoint. Also, if we have a lot of MA activity, they can take advantage of these cheaper regional banks. And then you think about the markets and you're seeing the ipo market open up a little bit you're seeing the debt issuance market opening up a little bit all of these together especially with a lack of this last year create some easy comps and then if rates come down this offers a little bit of a boost to especially large cap financials and then i think financials especially large banks they're a little too pessimistic given the size of the loan loss reserves i think some of this loan loss reserves will reverse this is good for financials the third value sector we like and then these are the the three biggest you know the three favorite within value the third that we love is healthcare you know a lot of drugs have come off patent a lot of these big pharmaceuticals need to go in and buy smaller companies with 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 potentially drugs down the road also valuations i think healthcare this year is the third worst performing sector this year and then the obesity drugs are just game changers i think this is going to pan out create some huge opportunities i know given the thanksgiving food i ate last week <laughs> i gotta lose some weight and i'm gonna find some of these <laughs> obesity drugs man i wish i could just get like a mini uh, GLP one program, right? Just like a little <laughs> shot every once in a while. Like I don't, I don't need, I, you know. I know a guy. You just take Ozempic in gummy form, you know. <laughs> yeah, just like, exactly. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. I mean, not, I'm not promoting this drug, but I've heard that it can reduce your body fat by 18. percent You know, it's it's crazy. So. Oh, I was in a weight loss competition with some buddies, and the guy who won, shockingly enough, took Ozempic, and we went. I mean, he can't eat. He doesn't eat anything. Yeah. But anyway. We could digress yeah. on this for a little while. Uh, you know, I agree with a lot of what you just said there. I like small caps have not kept up. You, you know, the IWM, I think, is around 12 times, 12 and a half times. Um, I like value, but I've always liked value. Unfortunately, it's the first thing I learned in this business. and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. I wish somebody had made me a momentum guy when I was a kid. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it is interesting you talk about uh, – the industrials, because it really speaks to how much financial, you know, we've tightened a lot, but there has been so, the IRA, the CHIPS Act that has driven so much of that industrial spending. I have a concern long term, not really an immediate concern, that repatriation uh, of manufacturing, having kind of a, uh, having an industrial policy, foreign policy could be inflationary long term, but I don't disagree with, hey, take the tailwind while you can get it. The interesting question, and it leads to the next question, is you talked about financials. If you like financials, I would I would guess that you think NIMS improve, that that we come out of the inversion. Yep. Right? So why don't, you, why don't we talk about that and then that'll allow us to talk about bonds uh and the and the yield curve um uh, from there. Sure. Sure. So, you know, obviously NIMS net interest margins. So we do think that they will improve pretty quickly. And part of the reason is that if you look at, let's go to the yield curve, look at the 210 spread. So everyone talks about the 210 spread. And we can look at the three month, the two year, what, 10 year, whatever you want to look at. I like looking at the two to 10 because it's such a great proxy of two key components for our economy. Number one, the, the two year is a great proxy where the Fed funds rate will be one year from now. The 10 year is a great proxy used for mortgage rates and other borrowing rates. So we do believe, you know, and, and the keep in mind the 210 is already um the reverse inversion significantly. And that I think last I checked was, was around 40 or 50 basis points. I do think as the market start to grapple with the fact that the Fed will be cutting rates later this year, that two year will start to drop pretty quickly. 
pretty quickly as it's such it's such tied to the the Fed funds rate and the ten year yes you know the ten year there'll be some interesting pullback but I do think the ten year yields are a little too frothy right now and especially when you look at a ten year about one to two percent over inflation they're a little bit pricey on yields and yes there's some technical issues in terms of supply coming to the market but at the end of the day ten year Treasury yield let's just say at four and a half percent that's well above inflation that's um very attractive you also feel the fact that you know if the economy is slowing down the economy is slowing down clearly there's gonna be some downward pressure on the 10-year plus the you know our, our expectation of a range of the 10-year is about four to five percent the reason we think of this is that basically it's sort of that where interest rates where the 10-year was before the fed's zero interest rate policy about and it was like 16 years ago where you and i were much younger at that point but 16 years ago the yeah. Fed funds, I mean, the tenure traded between that four to five percent. That seems like more of a sweet spot where more likely to be closer to the four percent than the five percent. Plus, like, plus you also have like insurance companies coming in, taking advantage of these higher yields to jump in and lock in these, you know, asset liability, you know, matching. So opportunities there. What are your thoughts on energy this coming year, Gene? I mean, it seems like analysts have kind of priced in an upside of seven point three percent. I mean, U.S. has stockpiled some crude. And then there's some OPEC countries that seem to be kind of contentious with the Saudis in terms of uh, production cuts. They, they just had a they kicked their next meeting down the road a little bit. So, so a lot seems like it's in flux. Yeah, Drew, great question. I think energy, we're, we're cautious to sort of neutral, I guess neutral to cautious, if I use the spectrum correctly. We're sort of neutral to cautious because the biggest headwind to high energy prices is high energy prices. And I think that the economy slows down. It's going to impact higher energy prices. Also, yes, OPEC did talk about some potential, um, you know, some production cuts. But and as you said correctly, you know, they moved the OPEC meeting from last week to this week. Now, even the news that came out today suggested that there's some disagreement in terms of, of, of production cuts. Saudi Arabia wants to cut. Some of the other nations don't want to cut. So I think there's just this uncertainty overhanging. Plus, you know. We as Americans, we use less oil, we use less gas than we have before, not overall, but just like, you know, fuel efficiency and people driving less and other other perspectives. So I I kind of say I don't see oil like even, you know, I don't see oil you know surging as a lot of people suggest The the obviously the big wild card is the geopolitical risk in the Middle East. And I'm surprised if there, you know, oil is telling us that the, that the war between Israel and Hamas is not going to widen. If oil was surging, the, the war would widen, but the oil is telling us it's not going to widen right now, which is good. I think it's great news. So, Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, it's interesting because you do look at the U.S. using, actually, gasoline consumption is even down a little bit. And one tailwind that consumers have right now is that gasoline keeps falling. The refineries, for whatever reason, have been tr having trouble producing enough distillate and, and trying to produce more distillate because diesel demand is strong and jet fuel is strong. They've been overproducing gasoline as driving miles have even come in a little bit. And I couldn't agree more that um, that you know look to markets to think about the the expansion of of hopefully uh, things continue to settle down. It feels like for the last few days we've been getting better and better news. Uh, with the hostages and so forth uh, in Gaza. Um, and Drew, but, and, but, and, and Drew right. sorry, one quick comment, Drew. And one thing we're also watching, speaking of energy, natural gas. Natural gas, you know, natural gas, 
the fall this spring or this winter, I guess, really saved the uh, the eurozone dramatically because you saw natural gas prices prices fell dramatically, and because we had a very warm winter, and we see the same thing coming out. You know, natural gas prices again have started to decline, so this really helped Europe a lot, avoid a lot of potential recessions that, that they could have the deeper recessions they could have had. So. Definitely. Yeah, ex- especially in light of, you know, a continuing Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, when it yeah. came into the winter. There's, I remember huge, huge concerns with the UK and Germany and, and everything else. But, yeah, it seemed to pan out all right. Yeah, yeah who knew? Who knew it was going to be 50 in Berlin and then right. in February? Hey, maybe <laughs> yeah. there's a trend here. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, with, with you know, as, as we talked about the 10-year a little bit, I, I think it's so... I, I always say I don't remember an equity market that was so driven by one factor. What is the 10-year going to do? And you know nobody knows what the 10-year. You know you you've got a range between four and five. That's you know that's that's a range that makes sense. Um, do you worry about uh, the kind of the, some of the concerns that have come up around issuance, especially around bond issuance? Do you think about crowding out? I know it's been a long time since anybody talked about crowding out. The <laughs> Treasury has certainly done their part here by keeping issuance in super liquid instruments, three months, six months, all that. How yep. do you think about that uh, That concern that's out there, that there's going to be too much supply at the long end? And even as the economy slows, even as inflation comes down, you do see inflation expectations moving higher. And then you've got this concern of supply. How, how do you think about those things? Yeah, a few things to comment on. I think Janet Yellen has done a great job to sort of to move around the maturities. I think you've she's smart, done done a great job. So moving less issuance of the longer term, more issuance on the shorter term. I think second of all, you've seen last, you know, even last week the twenty year. Who buys twenty year treasuries? The 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 demand was huge. And yeah, people you had a good twenty are, so, year. So yeah, so there's you know market markets you know investors are saying you know what yeah yields are high maybe they may move a little higher but we're watching this very carefully and the third thing to think about remember the Fed the Fed has a dual mandate the Fed's dual mandate is to make sure we all have jobs keep inflation in check the third mandate which they kind of don't talk about is to make sure interest rates are moderate and you can see the Fed if if interest rates are fluctuating all over the place you can see the Fed coming in and starting to buy Treasuries again. Again, you know, again, this is a little far-fetched, but something that, that they could do down the road. So I, I just think that yields right now, yeah, we watch the 10-year because that's what Bloomberg tells us to watch. You know, that's what everyone says to watch, which makes sense. But I do think that there are some opportunities at this level. And this is why in our portfolios, we've been incrementally adding duration almost every quarter. A little bit, but, you know, I think mm-hmm. the, the Barclay Ag duration is what, six and change? We're probably at about, we've gone from about four and change to up about, you know, high fives. So, okay. again, we've been raising duration because these are huge opportunities for, for these yields right now. Right. Go ahead, Drew. And, yeah. And, you know, last year there's a lot of discussion on the 60-40, um, you know, because it was epic failure. But this year we're talking about kind of bullish sentiment in equities. We saw the 10-year go from five to, you know, four, six functionally right now. So, I mean, it seems like the consensus view is once again this will be a, a, de- a very good year for 60-40s. Yeah, and I think um, to that point, I think something from JP Morgan came out today that the 60-40 portfolio is now up 12% this year. 12%, that's good. That's yeah. that's great. Quadruple t- quadruple inflation, that's amazing. So, so. Yeah. So what do you, uh, why don't we finish with this, Gene? What do you think you're, uh, is the biggest risk out there? If, let's just talk from the equities markets. If, if, if equities end up next year with a three-handle again, what will have driven that? I think <laughs> I do think um, the sell, a, a sharp sell-off and the magnificent seven. Uh, 
I think that would worry me because I do think there's a lot of excess assets in growth relative to value. So that would worry me dramatically. So what would trigger that? I think, you know, disappointment in AI, disappointment in technology spending. Um, I think also another concern would be would be on, on equities would be um I feel like I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bull now. I'm trying. I'm trying to pull. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the, if the, there's, I mean, there's lots of you know, the recession is worse than expected. Right. Yield surge, all these things. But I think that my biggest concern is that you have a sharp sell-off in those growth companies which have driven the market. And this, this go back to similar to what we saw in, in like 2001 and 2002, where you saw stocks, you know, the growth stocks, the Y2K, the tech bubble stocks surge dramatically, sell off dramatically. And then on top of that, you had a mild recession, which kind of exacerbated all this together. So something like that would kind of worry us. And then that would sort of go back to your talk of that the earnings recession may not be over yet. So all that together could create a problem for us. But again, we're pretty optimistic that the recession proves mild, um, that the worst is behind us, and that earnings recession is over. So. I guess uh, one, one last thing in terms of risks. I mean, we're coming into election year, Gene. And uh, yeah. so, you know, there's always some discussion on what to do. The primary se season always has a little bit volatility and then it kind of levels out. So what should investors think about in an election year? And I suppose the follow up is, do you see uh, politics as a big enough risk to, you know, institute a Moody's downgrade functionally if, if Congress can't get their act together and pass in basic basic spending packages? Yeah, I think th that's a great question. That's always the uncertainty everyone asks about politics in terms of how that's going to affect. You look historically, returns during a uh, an election year are usually pretty good. So first, I mean, I hate saying historically an average, but they're pretty good. Second of all, let's say we look at the two leading candidates, and I'm not a Republican or Democrat, I'm independent. So you look at Biden and Trump. And, you know, first of all, you know, they're both fairly market friendly. Second of all, if you if you think about this, it's like, this year, I think part, one of the reasons why we did not have a recession, and everyone said the, the most anticipated recession would be the, the one in 2023, we had a banking crisis, we didn't have a recession. Part of it is the fact that we spent a lot of fiscal money to, to keep our economy afloat. And that spending is going, will continue, if Biden's elected, they'll probably continue to spend more. Secondarily, if Trump gets elected, his, you know, if you look at his election, his, his presidency, he spent, I think I read somewhere, he's the biggest spender of money for a non-war president. And so I think either way, you'll see a lot of spending. So the question is, will Moody's or will the other raising agencies downgrade our debt further or actually downgrade it? I, I don't, I think it's always a non-event because the government's not going to do anything this year or next year and not an election year. So it's more of a longer term perspective. But again, what, what really drove the budget deficit really this year is a fact that revenues have come down dramatically so you look at in 2022 we we had a lot of, we had a loss in the stock market a lot of tax loss harvesting a lot of sales a lot you know a lot of capital gains taxes came in but at the same time spending uh, from the government increased for you know social security other spending other fiscal spending that really helped to create that budget widen the budget deficit you know We'll see. I, I think it's more of a one-time effect. It's going to increase, but again, the government can't do anything about this during election year. So long story short, I don't think it's going to matter right now because the, they're going to realize we can't do anything about this until at least a couple or three years from now. Yeah. So long answer to a short question. Apologies. All right. Why don't we cut it there? I think we've gone over 30 minutes. Gene, thank you very much. You've been you. uh, very generous with your time. Uh, let's do this again sometime.
Love to. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Drew. It's been great to see both of you guys. Enjoy the rest of the holidays. Thank you. Thank, thanks, guys. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.